This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it's 6am on Monday, the 5th of September. Good morning, I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shaoning. You are listening to The Morning Run. Selamat pulang, Shazana Mokhtar. Terima kasih, terima kasih. It feels good to be back in the studio. I've been away for a month. Yes. A month plus, the whole month of August. and uh, Looking much tanner and more relaxed. Much tanner, more I, relaxed. Got let, some beach time. Let me give. Let me be the Debbie Downer. Let's see how long that glow lasts. <laughs> Before the reality of our 6am shows, our 5am coming to the office robs you of that sun-kissed glow. Well, for now, I'm starting strong. It feels good to be back uh, starting a whole new month. We are in September after the very many uh, events, very eventful August, I would say, 65th when Merdeka. When has it ever been quiet <laughs> in Malaysia? That is true. That is true. Jam fa- Jam-packed with happenings and we will be discussing many of them this morning. Beginning at 7.15, the government is introducing a new premium visa program to attract wealthy investors to the country beginning the 1st of October. So will this incentivize more FDI into Malaysia? We're going to get some reactions to this new program from Sean Chia. He's the executive director of the Malaysian International Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Then at 7.30, we're going to look at the Sri Lankan economy, the government, because uh, the IMF has reached an agreement there for a $2.9 billion loan to help rebuild the economy. But I think the process in terms of rebuilding is going to be very long and painful. We discuss the economic outlook for Sri Lanka with economist Anushka Wijasingan later on at 7.30. And then later on at 7.45, now that former Prime Minister Datuk Sri Najib Raza is in prison, what happens to his parliamentary seat of Bukan? We're going to discuss the implications as well as maybe some other political developments over the weekend with analyst Dr. Hamidin Abdul Hamid. We're going to have all this and more today on The Morning Run, so stay with us, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Can't Fight This Feeling by REO Speedwagon, a karaoke classic, if any. It's definitely on one of my karaoke list of uh, list of karaoke songs. We have never gone to karaoke as a team. We have not. We really should, Xiaoning. I am all for it. All right, let's go. Let's. <laughs> uh, you know me. I love organizing a semi-small party. I can see our our producer Sim like shaking his he head is, desperately. Just, exactly. You can't sing, right, Sim? Probably not. Neither can I. But is it ever going to stop us? When no, it, never. We should get up and dance as well. When is karaoke ever about the singing? It's yeah. just about the performing and the feeling. <laughs> Like Just we're on stage. Letting it all out like we do every day on the morning run, but a little bit more chaotic. Exactly. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. That's Wang Xiaoning. We are the morning run at 6.08 a.m., taking you all the way through the morning to 10 a.m. And we're going to start the morning with the discussion on uh, what happened over the weekend, which is uh, that tennis legend Serena Williams took her final bow at the U.S. Open after 27 years on the court. She retires from tennis at the age of 40. She's won 23 Grand Slams, just one Grand Slam shy of the record held by Margaret Court of 24 uh, championship titles. Um, But in any case, she's been a figure in my tennis uh, spectatorship. So I don't know how the scene's going to be without her. Uh, Yeah, she clearly defines what uh, people say is the GOAT, right? Greatest of all times. Um, She has done really, really well, but... I'm, I'm not surprised that she's kind of said, okay, it's time to, you know, head off into the sunset. And it's not going to be that difficult for her because I'm looking at this article actually from The Guardian, although, uh, Shazana, you chose the BBC one, but I think they're quite similar. Uh, so, 
she's just married. Um, well, not married. She's she's um she's married to a supportive partner. She has the daughter who just turned five. And guess what? She's into finance. Aha! Uh-huh. Because oh my she's gosh. She, because she's now got a venture capital firm that has just raised more than a hundred million US dollars. So I think she will have plenty, plenty, plenty to do. That is very interesting, Xiaoning. If we see her become a venture capitalist and put investments in startups that um, she feels strongly about, I feel that she has a very, um, I guess, social consciousness as well in terms of uh, the issues that she strives for. Um, The fact is that she's a black woman in what is actually quite a a white-dominated sport. Was till the two... Actually, to be fair, it's the two Williams sisters, right? It's not just Serena. It's also Venus that kind of popped into everyone's... Uh, radar one day, you know, literally, and has dominated tennis for what? almost coming up two decades? They were trailblazers for black athletes, um, setting the stage for more uh, minorities and people of colour to come into tennis and other sports really as well. So um, I I think that their legacy in tennis is definitely something Mm. that that will remain for a long time. Yeah, what's interesting is so she penned her own kind of statement in the Vogue magazine. Right, and those are exactly her words, and I think uh, she wanted to define why she was leaving, and she didn't use the word. She said, "I've never liked the word retirement. It doesn't feel like a modern word to me. I've been thinking of this as a transition, but I want to be sensitive about how I use the word." And she says, "Maybe the best word to describe what I'm up to is evolution." Mm. So I'm here to tell you that I'm evolving away from tennis towards other things more important to me. I like that. I like that because retirement often has the connotation of end of life. You know, you're, you're kind of stopping the, the work part of your of your life. But um, using the word evolution instead, I think that makes a lot more sense, especially for someone like Serena, who's 40. 40 is hardly, I'm sorry, 40 is the new 30, right? Yeah. Or I don't know, 50 <laughs> is the new 30 as far as I'm concerned. There we go. Because I'm almost 50. I feel like, you know, we shouldn't be defined by age in any case. You can always reinvent yourself. And if, what sh- uh, if, if as, as you read, if she's going to turn into a finance, maybe we'll have her on the morning run and have her on the breakfast grill <laughs> exactly. to talk about her new we venture should. capital fund, you know? I think that would be something really interesting to think about. Um, and what do you think? Do you think that retiring from sports, is that is that different from the retiring that retirement in our, I guess, ordinary, very ordinary lives? You know, when you think about uh, it, she's retiring at, at the top, right? She's achieved so much. In a way, it feels like, yes, she she has the right or she's earned the right to retire, perhaps. But uh, I, I think it depends on, okay, so to be very fair, to, to, for, to, to reach Serena's level of tennis, okay? And we're talking like the 0.00001% of athletes, okay? It's not even just 1%, right? She must have, and she writes this in the the Vogue, her life was just all about tennis since she was about three years old when Mm. she picked up the racket for the first time. So I think for them, retiring is a big, huge step, right? What do they then feel? with that after they've decided that they're no longer going to play tennis. It's not like the case where WSN, me, retiring from from the morning run, from BFM. I mean, yeah, I work crazy hours. I, I, I do a lot for this job. It means a lot to me. But it doesn't hold a comparable level to, to what Serena is doing. It doesn't define no, your no, life. Not, Being, not like that level, right? I where you're world class. You're like number one. To be the greatest of all time, you, you have to devote your entire yes. life to that. And that's something that uh, we mere mortals 
I, um, yeah, I can't compare, but I think certain things definitely hold true. One of which is you have to have a plan like she does. You need to decide what you're going to do after that. And then you've got to be gracious about it and step away with it with clear thinking in your head. Why do you want to do this? And then embrace the change. Don't be scared of that evolution, which she says, but have that plan. Tell us what you think. You know, how will you decide when to retire from a particular career? Do you believe in evolution over retirement? And are you a fan of Serena Williams? You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio 613 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. We'll come back after that with a discussion in defense of being a tourist. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Bush with letting the cables slip. Unfortunately, if you're listening to us, you are not allowed to continue sleeping. It is Monday morning, the 5th of September, 6.19 in the morning. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning. We The Morning Run will take you through the morning, helping you get ready for the work day ahead and the work week. Now we're turning our attention to the next story that we're discussing this morning. And it's all about travel and being a tourist. Um, and I have to say, I don't know if you agree with me, Xiaoning, but I do think that the vogue, the trend in travel today mm. is really looking for that authentic experience, you know, going off the beaten track, staying away from the typical tourist attractions. And, um, you know, you might get some advice like, oh, don't go to this place. It's just way too touristy. Go to this place instead. It's a lot more like real. But there's this article in the Financial Times that you've pointed out, uh, written by food writer Tim Hayward, and he argues for really just embracing the tourist experience. Yeah, I love this article because I think it reminds us that there is no right way to travel. Mm. None at all, okay? So, you know, you can have all these people poo-pooing your ideas. Don't go there, it's rubbish, you know. So, uh, only if you with tourists, go here because locals really go there for its, you know, authentic experience. The food is the best. That's just a tourist trap. Yada, 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 yada. And yes, 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 some of it might really, really be true. But I think when you travel, food, you should have an open mind. Go with your eyes wide open. Follow your heart a little bit. Of course, read up so you don't fall fall into any scams. Uh, keep your ears open. Uh, observe. And then sometimes maybe just go with what the tourist traps are like. And they're not all traps, you know. Exactly. Because what attracts people to come to a particular place in the first place, you know? I think the article, uh, Tim Hayward gave the example of Venice. And yes, Venice is... Oh, I just went there in May and I can tell you it is the ultimate, ultimate tourist destination. And even though we're living with the pandemic, there were hordes of people. I cannot imagine what it was like pre-COVID. The point is that when you have these uh, really, I guess, beautiful places... I mean, it's bound to attract a lot of people from the outside. And, um, and, and inevitably, it does become very touristy. The tourist, tourism generates the economy. You know, it's, yes. it's unfortunately that kind of paradigm in a way. Um, but that doesn't mean that just because a place is touristy, that it's poor value or that it's, uh, you know, not, not worth seeing or not worth trying. As yeah. Tim Hayward uh, found out when he went to this restaurant in, was it Spain or was it France? I I, I don't recall. I forget. But he says that if he had listened to the advice, don't go to the tourist trap. It was in France. He wouldn't have tried this amazing seafood restaurant. Yeah. And sometimes the, the, the ones which are the most touristy, where, you know, people write about it the most, probably the most Instagram, sometimes deserve such an accolade. Um, at the top of my head was one of these gelato bars, right, that I went to in, in Venice. And everyone was like, oh, it's really expensive. It's not worth the queuing. You There are there are better places run by, you know, mom and pop shops. But I queued 
like a tourist. And, and it I, was delicious? And I didn't regret it. And I posted <laughs> it on my social media as well, like being a typical tourist. And to me, it tasted great. And maybe the queuing is part of that experience, right? In a way, yes. Yeah, so I don't think in our mind we should have such preconceived notions as to what is touristy and what's not touristy. So let's say we bring the conversation back to KL, right? And I think before with the break, we were discussing among ourselves, uh, what's what's a touristy kind of place that I would actually recommend someone to go? And when I gave you all my suggestions I could see that look in your eyes. Are you nuts, Chowning? <laughs> Not nuts. What is wrong with you? Are you crazy? And I chose KL Tower. I think it's more of surprise. Like, oh, Shaoning enjoys the KL Tower. I didn't think it was your jam. But it uh, does no. have its benefits for sure. If you want to get a great view of the city, especially at night, I feel, I think the KL Tower is, is you know, a pretty good experience. <laughs> well, the two things that fascinated me, one is that the building moves, right? And I was like, hey, how did they do this? What are the mechanics behind this, the engineering behind it? It's and a huge it's, lazy Susan. Yeah, I know. And on top of it, you do have a fantastic view of KL. You don't realise how big a beautiful city we live in and we you know because you're up there you have to spend time just looking around because otherwise we're just always darting in and darting out right when do we observe our own city absolutely true and i want to add another touristy spot in the city we were discussing we were brainstorming in the team uh, i think pataling street and central market that area is also worth a visit very touristy i mean you go into central market and you see all the souvenir shops mm. but i feel and you that, wonder who buys this right and you wonder who buys it but there is such a great vibe there i feel i feel like it's very vibrant and in a way you do get a, a slice of malaysian life all in one place pataling street with all its vendors with just the architecture and the cramped little stores with all the bars and cafes coming up. Yeah, it has gentrified. Although I, some people say that's not a good thing, right, from a tourist perspective. Because if you rewind 30 years ago, it used to be a commercial street, right, where you had all these like Chinese herbal shops, uh, medicine shops. You had like the sinseis. You had the markets. Uh, and look at it now, right? It's super like a mini bangsa. In fact, it's become more bangsa than bangsa. Certain pockets of it, for sure. Uh, I think it has a slice of life. I mean, a slice for everyone, really. So if you haven't been to Pataling Street or Central Market in a while, you know, maybe you should go check it out. Look at some of the gems in our own backyard and tell us what you think. What are other touristy places in KL or in Malaysia that you think are worth the hype? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. 6.25 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. News Bulletin. We'll come back with a look at what's making the headlines around the world. Here's Steve Winwood with Roll With It to take you to the news. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. That was Rita and the Tiaras with Gone With The Wind Is My Love. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning. It's Monday the 5th of September, the start of another work week. And it's that time of morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. The biggest stories from over the weekend. Earlier this morning, we were discussing the retirement of tennis legend Serena Williams. Uh, but what else has caught your eye this morning, Xiaoning? I think it's all about the uh, the fact that Russia has kept the Gazprom pipeline shut. And it was supposed to be just like a short period, but it seems to be going on and on. So, And according to Bloomberg, they have shut it indefinitely. Clearly, of course, this has caught... Um, kind of woken up the gas markets or the energy markets in, in, in Europe and prices have escalated incredibly. So in response, right, the group of seven leaders, they've decided to implement a price cap on Russian oil. 
So I think European Union is is kind of moving into action. So first off is Germany, actually. They have announced a $65 billion uh, euro, excuse me, relief package to help households and companies withstand storing prices. So the plan includes discount on public transport, tax breaks for energy-intensive firms. So their Chancellor, Ola Schaaf, said the government has made this timely decision to avert energy shortages this winter because inflation in Germany is close to 8% in August. I think this is really something key to watch, given that we are heading into the winter periods. I mean, during the summer, we saw how prices were still very volatile. It's going to become more so in winter when uh, this gas and energy is desperately needed to heat homes. It's the big topic in Europe at the moment. How will people heat their homes during the winter, Uh, not just in Germany, across Europe, and especially in the UK, where the two uh, prime ministerial candidates, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, have been pressed on on how they plan to deal with the energy crisis if they become Prime Minister. Yeah, we'll be following this story very closely, right? Because the results will actually come out later tonight, UK time. So we'll be covering it on Tuesday. And Rishi Sunak versus Liz Trust in terms of their economic policy is very different. Rishi Sunak wants to rein in inflation, is concerned about how much the government has been, has spent and will continue to spend. While Liz Trust actually wants to is advocating tax cuts immediately as attempts to boost the economy. It's a bit um I'm not sure how she's what her plans are. Yeah. Like well neither candidate really has very clear plans. No. But Liz Trust for me raises a lot of questions yes. because she wants to cut taxes, but at the same time she's said that she will uh, uh, launch an energy plan within the week if she becomes prime minister and what is what exactly is that plan if your revenue stream is going to uh, shrink because of these tax cuts yeah not only that the economy is uh, in free fall right so it's clearly going into a recession so that also means that your tax revenue is going to come under pressure so when I read the commentators, um, they basically said that she has taken advantage of her huge lead against Rishi Sunak to never come out with anything very specific as to her economic plans. But when she's announced, and I think that it's very likely, right, unless really something phenomenal happens in the next, what, 18 hours, she's going to be the next prime minister in the United Kingdom. What's going to happen is that shortly after that, she's going to be, um, she's going to be called to Balmoral, I think the Queen will announce her prime ministership. She's then going to have to face question time in Parliament. And I think that's where really a lot of attention is going to be cast on her policies, which at the moment, to me, are very murky. Mm. And can she survive this? Because she doesn't really have the support of that many conservative MPs. That's right. She has the support of the 170,000 conservative members. But that doesn't really count when you're in Parliament. That's true. In fact, uh, if we saw the earlier parts of this parliamentary process, I mean, prime minister process, a lot of the uh, conservative MPs, um, they were behind Rishi Sunak. So you can really see the difference between what the M- who the MPs support and who perhaps the conservative grassroots support and how this is, uh, whether this translates to the wider British population, that's going to be another question as well. Uh, I'm sure Labour are eagerly watching who will be the next prime minister and how that will uh, impact their political dynamics moving yeah. forward. And and talking about energy, right, Indonesia has raised its fuel cost to ease subsidy burden on budget. So what they've done is that uh, the 
uh, pertalite, which is the most commonly used gasoline, will increase by more than 30,000, uh, 30%, excuse me, to 10,000 rupiah, which is about 67 US cents a litre, while the cost of non-subsidised fuel pertamax will rise about 20% to 14,500 rupiah. And this is because they are suffering the same thing that we are suffering. Their budget in terms of subsidising uh, fuel has ballooned and the government just basically says, no, we can't do it anymore. It's just too much. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of governments come under this pressure too. I think governments will be, have to make painful decisions uh, whether to, you know, inflict the pain now or later. I think that's hard decisions are upon us everywhere. Uh, 6.45 in the morning. We're taking a quick break for some messages and we'll come back with a look at what's making the headlines in our local newspapers and portals next. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. That was Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. You're listening to Shazana and Shaoning on the morning run. I wonder whether this is going to be Ismail Sabri's uh, song. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. It's a great. Don't stop me now. I'm prime minister and I'm going to stay prime minister. It's a great uh, cat. How do you say that? It's a great theme song, I would say. I would would throw my support behind that. Uh, But yes, we are the morning run and we're taking a look at what's making headlines in the newspapers and portals. A lot of political news for sure. Uh, Something that uh, is on the front page of the star, at least a headline on the star, is told to get out of the way. KJ may not defend Rumbau seat. I know, interesting, right? You're like, hey, what's happening? Is Amno kind of imploding? Is there a fight between the court and minister clusters? Is this where it's really boiling forth? Bo- well, I mean, bubbling forth? And I think we'll be watching this space very, very closely. Who else is not going to get their seats? Because you might have been, you might be MP of Rumbau, but actually it's the Amno party that decides which seats you can contest in. That's so right. is he now not going to, uh, to contest at all? Is that what's going to happen to KJ? KJ, if you're listening to this, of course, you're welcome on our show anytime. Let Any us know. time at all. We want to hear from the horse's mouth what your plans are. And for some context, this news came uh, overnight, yesterday afternoon, actually. Uh, Kairi Jamaluddin, he was speaking at an event at uh, low-cost flats um, in Sri Alam 2. So he mentioned that uh, he may be asked to step aside in favour of the uh, UMNO Deputy President, uh, Mohamed Hassan. That's what Mohamed Hassan. Yeah. And it was is- done in a very modern way because it was via text. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a new way, man. You break up this way, you tell people you're fired this way, and you're not getting your political seat also this way. So a lot of questions there on to what's going to happen next. Who's going to run for which seat? Uh, I think something that everyone's looking at also is who will take over the Pekan seat now that Datuk Sri Najib Raza is in prison and may be disqualified as an MP. We're going to be discussing more on that later today on the show at 7.45. We'll be speaking to political analyst Dr. Hamidin Abdul Hamid to just help us break down what the different scenarios may be. Yeah, and then I'm, I want to bring up something in the Edge Weekly, um, which is... Actually, a, a culmination of the news that happened last week, which almost I think a lot of people didn't pay attention to because it was just all about, you know, legal cases, right, and judgments. But it's the fact that our prime minister uh, has actually announced the hundred ringgit added to the annual salary increment for 1.28 million civil servants, and that's going to cost us 1.5 billion the taxpayers. Uh, in addition, there's been other good news, which will cost us in total, total, 2.8 billion ringgit. Now, it really does sound a lot of these measures are populist in nature. And I'm wondering whether it's because elections are coming up, they're impending. Uh, but at the same time, I want to be the Debbie Downer. 
and remind everybody, and so does the author of this article, that all this is just going to give us very, very, very limited fiscal headroom to implement any development projects that we really desperately need as a country. And if the country actually falls into recession, what are our, are, are our options then? It is um, a conundrum for the government, I feel, and for those who will be tabling the budget later in yeah, October. Yeah, because we have huge receivables at Tanaga. We also see huge receivables at Petronas Dagangan. Uh, albeit Petronas, of course, has given, will probably top up dividends by maybe as much as 25 billion ringgit, bringing the total to 50 billion ringgit, which is huge relief to the Ministry of Finance. But the current situation is just not sustainable in the long term. Indeed. And this is something that economists and observers have been watching for years, really. Is it all going to come to a head with this budget in this current time of economic pressures? That's something to definitely keep an eye on. Um, looking at some other news, uh, looking at some medical news, really, we have got news about uh, two former prime ministers who um, were recently in hospital. We had um, the Dr. Mahade Muhammad, he was recently discharged from IJN, having recovered from COVID-19. Mm, he's still under observation, though, I think. As he should be yes. at that age and after having a COVID-19 infection. Remember, everyone, COVID-19 is still very much among us, so uh, be vigilant and stay safe as much as you can. Uh, in other news on former Prime Ministers, uh, Datuk Sri Najib Raza, after, uh, I think, only a week in prison, he has been um, hospitalised in, uh, I think it was uh, KL General Hospital. Yeah, but we don't know what, what's his medical condition, We don't know what right? the condition is. He's just stable, is, is he? But he is stable, yes. He is in Kuala Lumpur General Hospital. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess everyone's going to be watching to see yeah. where he goes next. Now, very quickly, also related to medical news, apparently we are going to get a mass mass mandate decision by by Wednesday. Uh-huh, that's okay. something to watch. We yeah. know that Singapore last week uh, lifted their mask mandates entirely. Uh, uh, except, except for public transport. public transport and I think in hospitals, right? Mm-hmm. Medical uh, medical em- uh, environments. Right. So I wonder whether we'll, we will be following suit because a lot of discussions that it's, it's really not much point anymore. Well, we'll be uh, keeping tabs on that. And one final headline, register to become an organ donor. This is on page two of the star. My Sajatra makes it simple for users to take the pledge. So if you are interested in donating your organs, you should check out your My Sajatra app tomorrow. You will be able to register as an organ donor there. Uh, we are coming up to 6.56 in the morning, uh, heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And then after that, we'll take a look at how global markets closed last week. Taking you to the news, we've got the mighty, mighty Boston's with the impression that I get. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.